Hey, it's Lula Mendesin, and welcome to this Neyman podcast. Really hope you're doing good. I'm doing well. So yeah, today's episode, I'm going to talk about uh, the brown babies. So as you know, that uh, during World War II, there were black soldiers uh, from the American side. So they had black soldiers. So when the black soldiers go to Europe, obviously they had some, you know, entanglements. <laughs> So they had girlfriends, some of them tried to get married, but it was not really allowed because they were still using segregation laws, you know, Jim Crow or rather not Jim Crow, but obviously a white person was more superior than a black person and a black person was not to assume any uh, significant role in anything they do. Even if uh, you wanted to serve your government as a soldier, you wouldn't have the same rights as your fellow soldiers. So they would have separate camps for the black soldiers and also the white soldiers. So when they were going through the war, they had girlfriend and their, girlfriends and they also had babies. So these babies later on faced a lot of discrimination, as you might guess. You know, it was the 1940s, 1950s. So uh, racism was still rife back then. So they faced a lot of discrimination. So this is just uh, an episode of uh, one of the ladies that went through all the discrimination. She's a mixed baby uh, from Britain. So uh, the whole documentary is about her and her experiences. So let's just have a listen and hear what she has to say. But at least two million American servicemen passed through the UK during World War II and tens of thousands of them were black. Now let's be frank about it. There are colored soldiers as well as white here, and there are less social restrictions in this country. Just what you heard, an English woman asking a colored boy to tea. She was polite about it, and he was polite about it now. Look, that might... Yeah, and I think uh, that might be true, because you, when uh, other people experience, um, rather see black people for the first time, and especially back then, there was not a lot of media in Europe that would demonize black people. So they would be happy to see them and they would be delighted. And wow, like the black people. So I've never seen a black person before. So they would be more welcoming to them. So, yeah. Not happen at home. But the point is, we're not at home. And the point is, too, if we bring a lot of prejudices here, what are we going to do about them? The African-American GI stationed in Britain were forced to abide by the racial segregation laws that applied in the deep south of the U.S. Lucy Bland is a historian and the author of Britain's Brown Babies. It's a segregated army. It says segregated in 1948. The vast majority of the GIs came from the deep south and white GIs attacked black GIs with impunity. That's what's so shocking. The thing is, the American soldiers were all under the jurisdiction of the American yeah, and it's quite unfortunate. You are all fighting for the same cause, but racism will stop you from actually coming together and actually fight for that cause. So you focus on racism or whether the other person is of a different skin color. That's why I've been saying uh, racism is a thing that's being used by the elites, you know, the, the government, the people who are controlling the Reserve Bank. So as, as long as we are fighting amongst each other, we won't realize who the real enemy is. So racism is a tool, and unfortunately, most people have fallen for this, uh, I would say, propaganda of racism, that uh, actually racism is a thing and we should all focus on it. So, But that's quite unfortunate.
So they had very particular jobs, the black GIs. They came and built the air bases, but they were not allowed to fly. They built the air bases, they maintained the planes. They weren't allowed in Britain to bear arms. The black soldiers often formed positive relationships with local people, and not just their skin colour, but their manners and attitudes made them stand out from their white American counterparts. <laughs> it's quite it's quite something right like black people uh, no matter where they go they are cultured you know uh, there are certain things that you cannot really buy you can't buy culture you can't really forge it it's just the way it is black people all over the world they are cultured they are humble people they are very good people so and other people recognize that they were pretty much all over the country particularly sort of home counties, East Anglia. And these areas were very white areas. Very white areas. Many people had never seen a black person before, except probably on, you know, on a film. And how were the black GIs treated by the locals? Well, the black GIs were often really liked, and they were seen as much more attractive than the white GIs because they were seen as much politer. So I think for many, they were very... <laughs> so it goes back to the whole uh, dark and handsome stranger, you know. That thing is not a mistake because uh, white women at the end of the day, they wanted something they couldn't really have, right? And that's black men. And, you know, you can't tell a, a woman what to do <laughs> when they're saying that, oh, that is forbidden. You must not ever, ever have sex with a black man. I'm like, why is that? <laughs> it will make them wonder, right? Why, why is it so f forbidden? Because there are attractive, attractive black men, and they're like, oh, man, if I could have some of that. So it's not really surprising. They found them more attractive, more appealing, because it was something so different that they had never seen before. How attractive. Black GIs in the segregated U.S. Army were forbidden from marrying their white girlfriends. Although the U.S. military denied that there was an actual law, every GI had to get permission from the commanding officer. So you can imagine, uh, like, every time uh, something happens, even during back in the day, like, uh, there were certain laws they didn't really need to write them down. They already understood those laws you know, by common law, like, okay, we know this to be true. You can't allow a black person to marry a white person. That's like, like, like an obvious one. You don't even have to write it down. I think that's the mentality that black people should also have, have this hive mind that uh, we move as a unit, everything we think in unison. We know this is not to be done as a culture. We must not do this. We must not say this. We must understand each other, like have a half mind, because white people don't have to explicitly say same things. They know, they think alike, and they understand each other. And as black people, I think we should actually reach that level. Variably, the commanding officers who were white would refuse it. And if pushed, their rationale was that back in the States, there were then 48 states, 30 had anti-miscegenation laws, laws that forbade marriage between whites and blacks. Local people in Ipswich were very surprised at how badly the black GIs were treated compared to the white. Babs Gibson Ward is one of about 2,000 babies born to white British women and black American GIs during World War II. 
the people in East Anglia were very supportive of the Black GIs. And so they would invite them to their homes, invite them for family meals. The family that I was born... Yeah, and that's the problem with white supremacy. When they see other white people treating black people right, they have a problem with that. That's what I'm saying. Majority like of uh, white people, they're not actually racist. But as soon as you show love to black people or uh, fight for black causes, they will strip you of everything as a white person. They'll make sure that you never amount to anything or even find some scandals about you because there's nothing worse, uh, worse for the cause than actually other white people going against their cause, right? Because if that happens then the whole house of cards actually crumbles. So unfortunately, there are many uh, great and non-racist white people, but they are overshadowed and blanketed by the racist white people that will always remind them or tell them that if you actually get out of hand, this is what needs to happen to you. So that's the unfortunate thing that we're facing. They got to know my natural father very well. Babs's mother was already married to an English naval officer when she met a black U.S. Air Force engineer at a dance. I guess one thing led to another when they started socialising with the local GIs and they had you know, parties and dances and things like that going on. Lucy Bland says even when the black GIs were off base, they were still subject to the U.S. Army's racial segregation rules. And then they had... Imagine that, even when you're in another country, when you're socializing with people that are not even closely related to the uh, Americans, still you are <laughs> subjected to racial laws. I mean, that's like beyond, beyond racism. Again, segregated by color. So certain nights will be a so-called black dance and then a white dance. And pubs also, quite a lot of pubs, this will be a black pub, that will be a white pub. The relationship started to form and both my mother and her sister paired up with GIs. Her mother fell pregnant in 1940. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> the uh, mom and the sister, her mom and aunt, they actually went for black guys like that. That's so crazy. That's why... Black men, they actually go absolutely nuts. In fact, like if you are a white female and white men actually discover that you slept with a black guy, you're in trouble. Like <laughs> you might not find a mate if maybe your dating pool, the your dating pool is people that actually know each other. Like you'd be in trouble from there. So it's quite bad that, you know, a black man, they think they're inferior. At the same time, they feel so offended when that women actually engage with us. You know, uh, terms like when you go black, you never go back. They're not a mistake. Black men, they just have, you know, that swag that, <laughs> you know, a lot of white men, they don't have. Like, you know, that kind of, I don't know what to call it, but they have that extra swag. So unfortunately, that's the way it is. So if maybe a black man is dating a white woman, that's like, and no, no, it's even better if maybe a black guy is dating a black woman, you know, because like even during slave times, you'd find the master dating one of the slave girls who was attractive. So that's never been weird. But the other way around, <laughs> that's a no, no. Told her black GI boyfriend about the baby. 
He returned to the US without knowing. When her mother's Navy officer husband returned after the war, he didn't question whether he was Babs' father until later. My skin was very fair, and so she thought, I think, that she was going to get away with it and pass me off as, as his. But by the time the following um, late spring happened, my skin started to darken significantly, and it was obvious that I wasn't his child. But my stepfather went... <laughs> So it's crazy that like this woman, she wanted to uh, make her partner actually hold the jacket. So she was actually cheating, like basically with this black man. So like, oh man, it was pretty bad. So she wanted to disguise this girl as a white girl so that the father, the stepfather of this child, technically stepfather, wouldn't actually find out that this baby is not his baby. I mean, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyways. I was put out in the garden, at the bottom of the garden, and not allowed to come into the house, which meant that she knew that I would have to be put into care. Nearly half of the mixed-race babies were given up to children's homes, but few were adopted. They were thought to... Imagine half, that's like one million, right? They said they had like two million... Uh, according to their stats, 2 million babies that were of mixed race. So 1 million kids were in foster care. So oh, can you imagine the torment they felt? Oh, my goodness. The African-American press named these children brown babies. The British called them half-casts. When she was just five months old, Babs was sent away from her family in Ipswich. She lived in a children's home for the next four years. Then a foster family came forward and it seemed like a new start. But Babs faced racial abuse at school. People in the neighbourhood wouldn't allow their children to play with me. And then when I went to school, most of the hostility was actually encouraged by my classroom teacher. He so imagine the kind of discrimination this child was facing. Imagine the trauma. And she's saying that some of uh, the bullying of some of the harassment she was getting was from actually the, the school teacher. So if the system itself is actually supporting other children to discriminate against you, <laughs> what chance do you have? And that's the thing. Uh, sometimes um, when these children, black children, are adopted by white parents i don't think they would love them those children as much as you know uh black parents like i'm not like saying you know it's impossible or anything like that but the dynamics the mentality of um the parents might not even change compared to if maybe the parents have white kids and also also black kids i don't think it would be quite possible to treat the children equally especially because of the mindset that we have nowadays that uh, black people are uh, inferior and white people are superior. Even a non-racist person, at the back of their minds, it's very hard to erase that kind of mentality uh, out of your mind. You get what I mean? It's you, get, you cannot be blank uh, like, or not see race. It's quite impossible. So uh, the dynamics of it is quite hard. If maybe this kid was adopted by a black family, obviously it would have been way simpler for her to adjust. So, but anyways, it's the way it is. 
to ridicule me. He would take me out into the playground with the children and tell them that I could climb a pole like a monkey climbs a tree. And so if they asked me, then I should demonstrate this at playtime. And this used to really, really upset me. And then the other thing he did was he sat me at the back of the classroom, away from all of the other children, and he would give me jigsaw puzzles and colouring books. And he would tell the other children that I didn't have the same brain as white children. I wasn't being taught like the other children. I was just left to play. And you know what's the funny thing? This still happens. Can you imagine the, some of the kids, maybe in Europe right now, who are black kids and maybe they're in schools like, in countries like, uh, you know, Holland, the Netherlands, countries that is predominantly white people like Sweden, Switzerland, you know, such places. Like the kind of discrimination they face. Like it's not like blatant like this, but now it's subtle. Things like, you won't even notice some things that are disputable, something that you can actually debate or deny. So, man, kids that are in predominantly uh, white uh, student, like where there are predominantly white kids in those schools, like I would think they find it very hard to adjust, especially because of the racial notion these days that we have. Everything is about racism. It's about skin color, you know. When you were racially abused by your teacher and made to feel stupid, did you understand why that was happening? No, I didn't. I really didn't. They more or less said that because I was different, that I didn't have the same intelligence as all of the other children, the white children in the class. But I refused to believe it. Now, funny enough, there are white people who still believe black people are less intelligent than white people. It's quite unfortunate, really. When her foster mother died, Babs was removed from her foster family and placed in another children's home. She was 10 years old. Three years later, her birth mother came to collect her, nearly 14 years after she had given her up. It was not the reunion that Babs had expected. The matron introduced me to this woman who she said was my mother and she was a total stranger. So I looked at her and I was puzzled because not only was she a total stranger, but she was white. And I couldn't make sense of any of this because I always thought my natural mother would be like me. At this stage, Babs, did And that's the reason that most uh, mixed-race kids have, like, uh, identity crisis, like... Uh, so if you were to take like uh, a mixed race child, if they're in their uh, white families, they're with their white families, obviously they will face discrimination, especially in their white, <laughs> their, their white side of the family. They'll face a lot of discrimination because you know black people who don't have a problem with race. Like we don't care whether you are light, you are, you, are, you are colored, you are black, you are Indian, whatever. We'll chill with you because, you know, like we're pretty chilled. So, uh, unfortunately, you might find that some children, they just wish to be, I wish I could be just white, you know. That discrimination, you just feel that. If I was at least a bit white, I was not mixed with my black side, maybe I would be uh, perfectly fine. And you find some people who are mixed, they have like this resentment for their black side because they wish like, oh, it was like, 
just a little bit, <laughs> just a little bit, I could have been white, you know. Well then, no, absolutely nothing. Until that day when you were 14. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how were you feeling? I didn't have a say. I had to go home with her. And um, I didn't want to. So she never told you why she'd come to collect you or why she'd waited all this time? No, no, no. Babs Gibson Ward had a difficult relationship with her birth mother, who had split up with her husband and was abusive to her mixed-race child. Babs was musically gifted, but her mother ignored teachers who encouraged her talents. Eventually, Babs left home and trained as a nurse. <laughs> Black and musically gifted, right? <laughs> It was at this point that she started to try to find out more about her birth father, but even getting basic information from the children's charity Bernardo's, which held her records, wasn't easy. And it wasn't until there was the Freedom of Information Act that was passed that I decided to have another go. And I went down to Anne Bernardo's to ask to see my records. Lucy Bland says that once records started being made available in the 1990s, it was remarkable how much information there was. So lots of people who have been in Bernardo's have had a huge struggle to get the records. And when they do get the records, what's extraordinary is the very minute detail that is kept about them. You know, every kind of day there's something written, often pretty unpleasant, sort of so-and-so did this. Or... And the Freedom of Information Act, I mean, like, uh, this law, I think, they use it, but it's kind of selective to the things that they actually release, <laughs> you know. Because some things they'll probably release that, oh, actually aliens exist. Uh, they choose. Like, some people have been asking for many, many documents, but the government will never probably give us that, those documents. So this is kind of selective, but I'm happy that it's helping people who actually are looking for family members, especially since everything is well documented. It really helps out know all about the parents but have lied to the children and told them nothing and once I got those records then I started to trace my, my roots really in America. My father was alive up to his 89th birthday but then died of cancer and uh, so I never met him. How difficult was it for you to get this information about your birth father? Um, they didn't want to give any information to me. They just said they had a duty to protect other people's relationships and lives. <laughs> and it's so scary. You know, sometimes you never appreciate knowing where you're from, who your parents are, like your lineage. Some people struggle with that, especially when you get older. You know, when you're still young, you never really care about those things. But when you're in your 40s, like where you, you are from becomes very crucial, like knowing your history and stuff because history actually repeats itself and if you check all over the world they're using their history as a form of strength to actually conquer uh, check out china they know at some point there were the mongols with Genghis khan they, they know that their bloodline is of royalty so they kind of take energy from that and actually strive for more so Actually, knowing where you are from is very crucial. Even the Russians, they know at some point they were a dominant force. If we actually erase the history of the Soviet Union, they wouldn't know they were a dominant force at some point. They wouldn't know they had lands everywhere and they were actually a dominant force 
in the in the world so actually knowing your history it actually does encourage you if you actually know that your father was a great person they did they did this this and that and maybe they were a president you get in oh wow i have the bloodline of a president you get what i mean so actually knowing who you are and actually knowing your background is very crucial because that gives you strength and actually gives you a path of who you are because some people are lost they don't have you know uh, career paths what if maybe some of your ancestors were doctors you'd be like oh maybe that's my calling you know you actually it's a roadmap to what can actually guide you if maybe you were like one of your ancestors maybe you were more like your grandparents or one of your grandparents rather it, it can actually guide you that ah oh, you're your you know your incarnate or rather the person you could have reincarnated from uh, someone who was similar to you did this this and that they can actually guide you to actually know what's your purpose in life or what your path in life so knowing your background is extremely crucial i had to do most of the research myself i actually wrote to one of the officials that would do the the family trace in america and I, I was able to get his his social security number i was able to get a copy of his death certificate i was able to get named people on that death certificate and what did it mean to you to find this american family and to find out more about your birth father i think for me it means that at least i have some understanding of where i come from and it would be lovely just to know that they're interested in me as i am as interested in them Having been lied to by her birth mother and given no information by the children's home, what Babs discovered about her father was a revelation to her. I managed to trace my grandmother and as soon as she saw me, she instantly said that I was my father's double. And that's the first I ever heard anybody make any reference to him. This lack of knowledge about... Okay, so like sometimes like... um when you are not claimed by someone it can be really painful and that's what uh, these kids went through it's the same thing that happened during apartheid south africa right they took all the colors they didn't care if they had families or they were related to whoever they just took all the colored people and put them in one place in uh, secluded places around the township so they had to form bonds with people they didn't even know. Imagine the pain of that, being ripped from your family and knowing that you'll never see them again. And you have to live with that. So it's the same thing that this lady is going through. Like, she never met her family. She never knew who she was. She was a half-caste. In fact, the, the, the analogy is very closely related because it fits very perfectly, the analogy, because uh, even the people from South Africa are colors. They... They didn't really have an identity. Even now, they're having a huge identity crisis because some of them, they get to marry into like uh, black people. They have relationships with black people and they end up having kids. And those kids, when they grow up, they're saying they're colored, but you can see that this person is dark. <laughs> they're not really colored. Is it colored? Is it a culture or is it about skin color? Because in South Africa, because they put so many mixed race people in one area, they ended up forming their own culture. So is it a skin color these days being colored or is it something else? But anyways, that's the episode for today. I really hope you enjoyed. You got some enlightenment. 
I certainly did when I uh, watched this. It's quite interesting. I didn't know about this. I kind of knew, but, you know, when they actually tell you the details, you kind of like, you know, uh, get a real revelation. But anyways, that's the episode for today. It's the Snayman Podcast. For now, shop shop.